You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. We are in these weeks, uh, as we move towards Christmas, we're looking at the, the, the account by the different gospel writers of this event that we call Christmas, of the coming the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're looking at the book of John. I want you to remember that each of the, the gospel writers wrote what they wrote for a different reason. A couple years ago, uh, Ellen and I, it was Christmas 2012, we went with our girls to Tunisia for uh, about 10 days to be with her sister, but also I was speaking at a conference there, and one of the couples, the young couples that was at the conference, had a two-year-old girl and delightful little child, and she got, for Christmas, her first book. So when she got the book, she's all excited, and she sits down with the book, and she's looking at it. Then she decides she wants to open it. Like any intelligent two-year-old, she put her finger on it and swiped. Nothing happened. So she tapped on it a few times and swiped it again and dumb book. Doesn't know how to turn pages and so she set it down and end of the book. If you're my age, you know why you're laughing. That, that's our life every day. All this stuff that's happened in our lifetime that you don't know how to use. It's kind of a common thing in our house where Ellen or I are trying to figure something out on the computer, and you go, looking at it, and one of our girls walks by, Dad, it's, it's intuitive. You just go like this. Yeah, got it. <laughs> Apparently, it's not intuitive, because I missed it. We got a call from Angel this week. She's moved to Chicago, and she was visiting some family friends, a woman about our age who doesn't, do social media, doesn't even know what it is, uh, lives her life in total peace. And uh, Angel was explaining to her something that happened this week on Instagram. The lady's like, what is that? Well, if you want to explain Instagram to somebody Angel's age, it's not complicated at all. You just say, well, it's a it's a social media platform, and this is how it's kind of like this, and I've got it. If you explain it to somebody who has no social media anything, it's really difficult. So Angel's trying to, well, the computer, you can't do it. Imagine in the first century trying to explain the coming of the Son of God in human flesh. Matthew was the first one that did it. Matthew was a Jew, and he wrote his letter to his Jewish brothers and sisters. Jesus was a Jew. He was born into a Jewish family. He was part of a, a century-old story of God preparing the way for the coming of his son through the prophets. Through it. So when Matthew speaks to his audience, they all knew the story. And he explains to them that the one you've been waiting for, the, the Christ, the Messiah, he's come. His name is Jesus. Luke, is, Luke and Mark are the next ones to tell the story. They had a different audience. 
John is the last one. And as history has it, this is probably almost towards the century mark. The other gospel writers have already written. They came to John, you need to write a gospel to the Greeks. Now it's like 100 years later. The church is born. It's actually spread all. The message has gone all over Asia Minor. It's gone all the way to Rome. In fact, at the time that John wrote, it's believed that there were actually more, um, more non-Jews in the church than there were Jews. So he's writing to Greeks about the coming of Jesus. They, don't, they never read the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't even know they existed. They had no idea what prophets were, who they were, what they said. They knew none of this. And John has to explain to them, who is this Christ that has come? He ends his gospel, and towards the end of his gospel, in chapter 20, he says this. Why did he write? Well, he wrote to convince them that this one Christ who has come is actually sent by God to restore relationships. So he says it this way in verse 31 of chapter 20. These things that I've written, the things that John wrote, the stories that he wrote, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So how does he explain this one who has come? Well, he uses images, he uses pictures, and one of them that he uses is light. He talks about the light that has come, but the light is not just this shining, no, no, no it, it's God himself. Jesus said, I am the light. So he reveals God using this image. When I was about eight years old, my dad had the first of a number of heart attacks that he had uh, throughout his life. Almost lost my dad. He had five bypasses, and miraculously, God touched him, and he, and he lived. But over the next years, there was just lots of heart things that happened, lots of exams. And I think I was in high school. He went in to have an aneogram. Yeah, that's exactly what he went in for. How did you know that? <laughs> you went in to get an angiogram and they put the stuff in your blood. They're, they're trying to see how your vessels are. And, and during the process, his heart stopped. I don't remember exactly how long it was. It was a significant period of time. And, and they were able to resuscitate him and, and he lived. After the event, we asked him, hey, what happened? He wouldn't tell us. I mean, was it bad? No, it was actually good. Well, then tell us. He wouldn't tell us. Why won't you tell us what happened? Were you conscious? Yes. Why won't you tell us? He said, well, actually, there's nothing that happened in those moments that changes anything. Everything that you need to know about who God is and how you can have a relationship with him, it's all right here, and nothing that happened changes any of that. About 10 years after he died, his older brother outlived him, and I went to see him not long before he died, my uncle, and just talked about lots of things. And while we were together, I said to him one day, Uncle Don, do you remember when my dad had that heart thing and his heart? Yeah, I remember that well. I said, did he ever tell you, like, what happened? No, he said, 
He wouldn't tell me. Nothing that he saw changes anything. That was lots of years ago. What happened to my dad has now happened to lots and lots of people. With the advances in medicine, it's a very common thing. Uh, I think there's over 8 million Americans who have clinically died and then been brought back to life. And what is amazing is when you hear their stories, there's lots of similar experiences. One of the common things you hear is they talk about it as though the, their soul left their body, almost like you take your hand out of a glove. And one of the common things that people will recount is that they describe rushing down this tunnel and suddenly finding themselves in the presence of a brilliant being of light who touches them in such a way that they experience like this life-changing sense of grace and rightness and truth. You hear that a lot. There's another common thing that you hear less often. Uh, there's a study done by a man named Dr. Maurice Rawlings who works at the University of Tennessee Medical Center and is a cardiologist who works in the emergency room and with a number of his colleagues interviewed more than 300 people that uh, walked through one of these near-death experiences. What was different about their research is they didn't like wait two weeks to, hey, would you think back and right after it happened, they would say, hey, tell us what you saw. Interesting that over 50% reported that during those moments they saw something that was, the way they described it was torment. And the sights that they saw look nothing like the place that we perceive heaven to be. Strangely, when those people were re-interviewed a number of weeks later, they would often change their story. Dr. Rawlings said probably because what they saw they didn't want to say out loud to their family or even maybe admit to themselves. But here's his conclusion that I found very interesting. Dr. Rawlings says this, just listening to these patients has changed my life. There is life after death, and if I don't know where I'm going, it's actually not safe to die. So, none of the things that I have just said to you change anything about who God is and what he's revealed to us. But what's interesting is, when you listen to the stories, two of the themes that you hear often are light, like this unapproachable, beautiful light, life-giving light, and this empty darkness. John talks about the one who came. He said, in his coming, light has come into the world. And you read the book of John, if you've read it, you may have noticed that it's different than the other Gospels. Mark, Luke, Matthew, tell lots of parables of Jesus, lots of things, that healing things. John doesn't, doesn't do that. John's goal is different. He's talking to a group of people who have no idea who this Jesus is and why he came. And even in the stories he tells, he's explaining the nature of this one who has come. So when you read uh, in the gospel, he uses this theme of light. And he says about Jesus, in him, this is uh, John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Later in chapter 8, he says this, 
When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in his gospel, he's revealing the nature of this Christ. And one of the images he uses is light. After feeding 5,000 people, Jesus says to the crowd, I'm the bread of life. After he's on, his, on the road to Bethany, he's going to see his friends, his family. Lazarus died. And on the way, Lazarus' sister comes, Martha, and comes to Jesus, where were you? And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes and he raises somebody from the dead. In John chapter 8, he says, he proclaims himself to be the light of the world. And then he goes and heals a blind man. So John tells all these stories to reveal. Now, when he says that God is light, it's not like this weird. I got stuck a few weeks ago at Whole Foods talking to this guy that was selling some health thing, and, and he starts talking about light, and he's like, it's just this energy that's. That's not what he's talking about. This light is the living God who has come in Christ to live among us. So what do we see in the picture? One of the things that you see in the picture that John paints is that light dispels darkness. When it's dark and you light one candle, one candle pierces the darkness. This is what he says about Jesus. In him, in Christ, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He, he says in the beginning of his gospel a number of things about this light who has come. He begins it with these words. In the beginning, speaking of Jesus, was the word, Jesus. And, and this word was with God, and he was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So you hear it? He's not saying it's just kind of like this force. May the force be with you. Now, this is the God of the universe. He, he was there, this Christ, in the beginning. He wasn't created by God. He is God, and he was there. And everything that you see was created by him. So if you go back in the story, the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 1, it says that at that time, there was darkness. There was water. In the scripture, that portrays chaos. So there was just chaos. What did God do? He spoke. And he said, let there be light. And light came. It wasn't like a fluorescent that somebody turned on. This was the presence of the God of the universe. And when he showed up, light came. And, and the picture is that light chases away chaos. Light makes right. And so, and that 
picture, light comes into the picture, God creates life and light. Then Adam and Eve choose to turn and, and take a turn and walk away from God. When that happened, sin and death came back into the picture. That's called darkness. Darkness, if you don't believe there's darkness, you haven't read the newspaper. It's just dark. And we keep thinking, you know what? If we just educate people better, it... yeah, no. If education could make light come, this would be a really bright place. It's not. You can't educate darkness away. The only thing that can chase darkness is light. You guys, it's just so dark. Like, the darkness has gone into nations. It's gone into schools. It's gone into families. It's just dark. So how do you dispel darkness? Isaiah says people living in darkness have seen a great light. That's Jesus. And, and John says, the light has come. And wherever Jesus goes, light goes with him. So the places where people honor and follow and live out the Christ life, light just shines. It dispels the darkness. You cannot make it go away. But wherever that is not the case, wherever there's places where God is not honored, where Jesus Christ... It just gets dark. And it will always be that way. Because the darkness is actually not out there. It's in here. And the only way that it changes is when light comes in and dispels the darkness. And the good news, John says, is that the light has come. The second thing that light does is it reveals things. In chapter 3, he says it this way. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Really? <laughs> Seriously, people like darkness? Yeah, we all do. Right from the beginning, Adam and Eve walked in just the beautiful light of a relationship with God. And then it got broken. The first night, God comes to have a conversation with them. And he comes to the garden and he can't find them. So he says, to them, hey, where are you? It's supposed to be funny. Like God doesn't usually need to ask anybody where they are. He knows. He's asking because he wants them to say it out loud. We're hiding. Why are you hiding? We're hiding because darkness has come. And it's come inside of us. And it separated us from God. That hiding, you know what? We're all professionals at it. There's just stuff 
I, I don't really want you to know about. Here's the deal. God sends light not to bring you shame, but to free you. Anything in your life that's hidden binds you. See, here's the deal. All of us at our deepest soul core have this longing to be loved. But we're terrified of being known. Well, guess what? If you're not known, you can't be loved. But we want to be loved, but we don't want anybody to know. And the light has come so that we can walk into the light. You know what God does when he finds out stuff about you? Nothing. Because he already knew. He's not even surprised. He's inviting you into the light. In 1 John, he says, when we refuse to walk in the light, we're lying to ourselves. And he says, when we do walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You hear that? We can't actually have fellowship with one another until we're truthful and walk into the light. I wish that I could tell you, you know what? If you walk with God for like 30 years, all the stuff is done. If after 30 years, I can tell you that. Actually, what happens is the closer you get to the light, the more you see the stuff in your soul. A couple, maybe a year and a half ago, I just had this fantastic idea. I walked into this room one day, it was like a Saturday, and I looked up, and these windows looked awful. I mean, there's bird dung, and there was just all this stuff on the windows, and I said to myself, self, Josiah taught you how to wash windows, go do it. So I got out the bucket and I went out here and I washed the windows and I got done and I looked at the windows and I said, man, I did a great job. The next day was Sunday. And like happens four or five times a year in Ohio, the sun came out. <laughs> so I walked in on Sunday morning and I looked up. It looked awful. Like who messed up the windows while I wasn't looking? Well, actually, they were all messed up. You just couldn't see it because there wasn't enough light. If you remember, you were here that day. We prayed a lot. <laughs> yeah, just don't look. Let's pray. <laughs> That's why he says that most of us don't really actually like the light because it's painful. It it makes you see stuff, and, and there's stuff in there for all of us. Stuff like envy and bitterness and pride. And the closer you get to the light, the more you see those things. And the beautiful thing is, if you fess up, he'll set you free. It's not just sin that we hide. We even hide our weaknesses. We don't want people to know. We think that if we're really going to do stuff for God, we got to be strong. You really think God needs you to be strong to do what he needs to do? He just needs you to be and let him. So Paul says when you hide your weakness, 
You don't actually honor God, you hide him. If you just be honest, and I've been reading, I don't know why, but just a number of things that have come across my path about depression. A lot of really godly people that struggle with depression. Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, A.B. Simpson. Great men of God. Why were they depressed? What was wrong with them? Well, they just walked through some really difficult times. We have a tendency when we get in places like that, we want to hide it so nobody knows. And Jesus says, walk into the light. You know what? Every person in this room has brokenness. In fact, that's the places that God wants to shine his light. That's where his light shines the best. It reveals and gives us the opportunity to walk into the light. The light also guides us. This is the way he says it in John 12. Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. So walk while you have the light before darkness overtake you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Jesus said that. Hello? <laughs> yeah. You walk in the dark, you're not very intelligent because it's really hard to see. You need light. And throughout the scriptures, the light is God himself, and he reveals himself through his word. That's why the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Without him, you can't see. If you make this up as you go, you're walking in the dark. But as I loved Pete's story earlier, just learning to... I don't understand this, but if you said it, I'll do it. And the more you walk into the light, the more the light heals you, guides you. Here's the last picture. Light is actually a gift, and you have to receive the gift. He says this in verse 14. The word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you hear that? Wherever the light shines, grace and truth come into focus. Because that's who God is. So when the light shines, you hear these stories about people who have these near-death experiences. They walk into the... And it's not light like somebody turned on a fluorescent bulb. It's light like this presence that is just so beautiful and it's full of grace and truth. But you have to receive it. This is how he says it in verse 11. He, Jesus, came into the world that belonged to him. It was his own. But his own didn't receive him. But to everyone who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The light has come. But the only way you can see it is to receive it. You can walk into a dark room and scream at the darkness. Be light! Nothing's going to happen. 
You can stand in the dark room and go, well, if I just understood this and I just, it won't help you. But if you receive the light, all of a sudden you'll be able to see. There are spiritual things that you cannot understand until you believe. Light has come, but you have to receive it. And this is the beautiful thing. He said to everyone that receives it, he gives the gift of becoming sons and daughters of the living God. That's why he came, to give light. He said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came so that you could see, so you would know. And to all who receive, he gives the gift of becoming a child of God. We're going to celebrate Christmas in a few weeks. If you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and received this, can I just invite you to do that this morning? You have to receive the light. He doesn't force light on anybody. But to anybody who will receive it, he gives that power to become children of the living God. I've heard this story a number of times. I've read it. I have no idea if it's true, but it's still a good story. This apparently exists in Indiana, in a cemetery somewhere in Indiana. There is a tombstone. A man was buried, and on his tombstone is written these words. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death now and follow me. Somebody underneath the inscription wrote these words. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> it does matter. Because you will not be able to walk into the light if you have not received the light ahead of time. The, the good news is that the light has come to give us life. I'm going to pray this morning, and while I pray, invite the team to come. We're going to sing a song that celebrates this after we sing. I'm going to be here. If you're here this morning and you just need to pray with somebody, man, I don't understand. I, I just need to take that step. Would you come and pray with us after? So let me pray right now, invite the team to come, and then we'll sing this song as a prayer together in closing. Jesus, thank you. We need the light. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for... You could bring your light and shame us all, but you didn't come to condemn us. You came to set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.